0: So this morning we are uh, beginning a new series. Uh, the title of the series is The Hard Way. And originally I was looking at reading this passage and, and thinking about the sermons for these next few weeks as part of the overall series of getting to know Jesus, the, the, um, uh, understanding him better through the season of epiphany. But also, uh, as I'm reading these, these words that Jesus spoke in his sermon on the plain and realizing how, differ- how difficult they are, how hard they are uh, in relation to our culture, how counter his teaching runs to the way our, our society runs, to the, even the way our human nature runs. And he begins this morning by saying, uh, love your enemies. And I've th- been thinking about reflecting on this passage over the last few weeks and um, thinking, too, especially about how the, all the division, the deep divisions within our society right now and our culture and Hearing the, the just the, the belligerent talk between different groups in our culture, um, the rancor online and in the media, and watching it almost just uh, these different groups just spiraling downward into deeper divisions. And it's even discouraging sometimes too to hear Christians, brothers and sisters, people I love, um, who join in on one side or the other and, and use the same insults and uh, the same uh, shouting, and it's discouraging. And so I'm reading this text about how do we, as followers of Jesus, how do we enter into these conversations? How do we uh, prophetically model loving our enemy in a culture that seems to hate enemies? I'm thinking about, too, about listening to the words of Scripture. I have some different passages. One of, like, uh, Proverbs 15.1, where it talks about, uh, give a gentle reply, and it turns away anger. And yet a harsh reply stirs it up. Or in Ephesians, when Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and and in his discussion he talks to them, he says, speak the truth, but speak it in love. Make sure it's in love. Or Corinthians, the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, when he talks about our ministry of reconciliation, that as followers of Jesus, we have a ministry of bringing people together, not forcing people apart. I was even thinking about uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, another time when Jesus uh, uh, taught a sermon. And he said, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, people who bring people together, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so I've been thinking about these passages, uh, thinking about Jesus uh, teaching to love the enemy, to love our enemies. And how do we do that? How do we do it in a way that actually um, shows how amazing the Gospel is? how great God's love is and how much it changes our lives. And I know some of you are working through the same question too. Some of you see the, the different tribes of our society going at it on social media or in the news. And maybe some of you are frightened by what you see. Maybe some of you are angry by what you see. Maybe some of you are like me and discouraged by it. Maybe some of you see the way that people are yelling at each other and insulting each other. They're not even talking about the issues anymore. They're just attacking each other. And that's discouraging for you. Or maybe you found yourself getting so worked up that you've actually joined in the attacks and have forgotten that that is beneath us as followers of Jesus. It's unbecoming of us and not glorifying to our God either. How do we enter into this conversation? How do we talk with our friends and with our neighbors? in ways that honor God, in ways that they see us differently, that we love our enemies, that we pray for those who are mistreating us. How do we do this? How do we follow Jesus into this? That's why I love the Word of God. I mean, it was written centuries ago, millennia ago, and yet it still speaks to us today. Listen to these words. If you would um, open up your bulletins, and read this text with me. <coughs> um, I have to admit, the actual structure of the, the writing isn't quite how it shows up in the Bible, but I, I wanted to try and break out the sections so it would be easier for us to see it. So, if you would read with me, it says, or Jesus said, this is Jesus in his sermon in Luke, sermon on the plain, he says, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn also. Turn to him also. Sorry, turn to him the other, also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if someone, if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So Jesus begins by saying, love your enemy." And I hear this, I hear this first of all as like an overarching statement for everything he's about to say. Everything fits under that one heading, love your enemy. But it's also the first in the first four commands. It's number one of the first four commands, love your enemy. And I think when Jesus says love your enemy, I don't hear him saying feel warm and fuzzy for your enemy. I don't think he's talking about feelings. I think he's actually talking about do loving things, actively love your enemy, which I think is actually easier. Because, we, one, it's hard to choose to love someone who has been mistreating you or cursing you or hating you. It's hard to feel love for them. But it is possible to show love to them. Even if you don't want to. Even if you have to grit your teeth and hold your nose to do it. You can still show love to them. And it's interesting because I think actually And nine times out of ten, it's when you actually show love to people, that produces way more fruit than if you were to tell someone, I really feel warm and fuzzy about you, even though you hate me. But if you show love to them, more often than not, it's more fruitful. And it's a powerful way to turn an enemy into an ally by loving them when they least expect it. So that's the first command, love your enemy. Then Jesus says, do good to those who are hating you. Think about how many wars <laughs> could have been avoided, How many arguments, how many times when families have split, how many people might still show up for Christmas if we did good to those who are hating us? I think this is actually um, this first or the second command to do good to those who are hating you is a lot like the first, which kind of that's why I was thinking that the first is this overarching statement. They're very similar. Love your enemy. Do good to those who are hating you. Do good to them. Then the second, or the the third command is this, is to bless those um, who are cursing you. See, we think, like when we say, oh, like uh, you blessed me, oftentimes we mean like you did something kind for me. And in the ancient world, blessing and curses were specific things. A blessing was asking for God to bless or to favor someone, to provide for them, to do something good for them. So Jesus is saying, bless those who are cursing you. And cursing wasn't just like swearing at you. (laughs) Cursing was asking God to do something to you, asking God to harm you, or asking God to bring judgment on you. Jesus is speaking this to his followers because uh, his first followers, they had trouble with the religious group around them. These early Christians had trouble with uh, the Jewish leaders. There's also oftentimes friction. The the Jewish leaders viewed the Christians as heretics. And so they would do all sorts of things. They would throw them out of their family. They would throw them out of the synagogue. They would even curse them. May the Lord um, destroy you because you are a heretic. And Jesus says when they do this, don't return curse for curse, but actually bless them. Ask for the Lord's blessing over them. That's the third command. The fourth command Jesus gives is to to pray for those who are mistreating you. Which is powerful stuff as I started to realize or I started to think about it. How powerful this is to pray for those. Because it does two things. First of all, it begins to work in us. When we start praying for people who are mistreating us, it works in us. It's hard to stay angry at a person as you're praying for them. It's hard to stay angry for very long the more you pray for them. So praying for people works in us, that's true. But also it asks God to work in them as well. Praying God to work in the people who are mistreating you, to do something miraculous in them, that God reveals to them they are convicted, excuse me, by the Holy Spirit, they realize what they've done and you guys come together and you get to work things out. God is saying, love your enemies. I've been mean, thinking about this too and how right now there's a lot of enmity anim- between uh, Christians and, and Muslims in our world right now. And there are people, for example, who hate us because we are Christians. There are people who hate us because of the fact that we live in Canada and we have so much. How much longer would they hate us if we were doing good things to them? If we were doing good for them? I was thinking about this, and there's a couple things I've, over the last year, one is uh, there was a, a covenant church, uh, the Kensington Commons Church, uh, supported a, a refugee family from Syria. And I don't know what that family thought of Christians before they came. And I don't know what they think of Christian families right now or Christians right now that they've been supported. But I know that it has to be hard for someone to hate when they've been blessed. It has to be hard when they come to Calgary and this church, these Christians who've never met them before in their life, support them and bless them. I also think about the hundreds of Christians uh, in this church in Germany, actually. Uh, talking about this church that had tripled in size and then quadrupled in size as they were blessing uh, immigrants, um, refugees who were moving into their community. And the church began to help them and to care for them. And a few of the immigrants started coming. Most of them were Muslim. And they began to hear this good news for the first time of who Jesus is. And they were converted. They, they left their uh, Islam behind and they started following Jesus. And then more and more. And then this small church in Germany like, grows four times its size with people who began following Jesus because they were caring for them. When I think about how long would someone in Syria who's never met a Christian, how long would they be able to hate us when they're receiving aid from organizations like World Vision that we support in these organizations that bring food and water and clothes and and care for them. It's hard to hate someone when they're doing good to you. And so I hear Jesus saying, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. So that's the general thing, these four commands. And they are commands. In the Greek, that's not a descriptive thing. He's saying, do this. And then he gets more specific. So he gives these general, these four general things, but then he gets more specific. And he says, when someone hits you on one cheek, turn the other cheek to them. Now, I have to admit, I've had trouble with this most of my life. You know, it was Jesus saying, always be a pacifist. If someone's attacking you, do you just stand there and let them? Um, I've had trouble with that. It's been difficult for me. You know, it's hard for me to think that I'm supposed to take it if someone starts attacking me. And, and actually, um, Tracy and I were talking about just a few weeks ago um, about how do we do that, especially like if our sons that are bullied in the playground at school. And as I'm reading this passage, uh, one that I'm realizing that Jesus is talking about something specifically here. Uh, in the ancient world, you'd get in an argument, and you'd get heated, and, and it was talked about a slap with the back of the hand across the face, uh, as one, as a way you're totally frustrated, something you do when you're frustrated, but also as a way to humiliate the one that you are arguing with. Okay, so, um, I, hear, I realize that Jesus is talking about a specific thing, about an argument that gets heated, and one tries to humiliate the other by hitting, uh, by slapping him across the face. And I have this image of, of this person, rather than you know just returning, uh, and, and this debate turns into a brawl, um, Stands there and offers the other cheek. One, uh, because of who Jesus has made them, uh, the strength that Christ has given them. But also two, because in a surprising way, it shames the one who's attacking. It shames the one who has resorted to violence, trying to humiliate. And I've been thinking about this, and you know, I think that Jesus is talking about. it. It's a different situation if someone's, you know, hitting you to humiliate you, your face. Uh, like one time, versus someone who is attacking you. I don't think he's saying, you know, don't ever defend yourself. I think he's saying in a specific instance when someone is trying to humiliate you in an argument that's gone too heated, don't return. Don't retaliate. And I was also thinking, you know, this month, um, uh, thinking about um, uh, Pastor Martin Luther King and and the, the ministry that he had, the movement that he led in the 60s. And his um, constant advocation for nonviolent resistance. Talking to uh fellow African Americans, telling them if we result in violence, we'll be just like them. But if we stay with nonviolence, if we match their violence or their attacks with our suffering, things will change. And when they do change, we'll be able to come together. But if we do it by violence, we might win, but we'll never be able to be reconciled. So, this has huge implications, not just for us personally, but for us as a society as well. So, Jesus says if someone hits you on one side of the face, turn to them the other. I told you it was the hard way, right? And he says if someone takes your coat or your overshirt, don't keep your undershirt from them either. And this one is, uh, I wonder if this one has something, uh, some of the distance between our two cultures, between ancient uh, Israel and modern day Canada. But I hear Jesus saying, you know, if someone takes, like, maybe put it into modern language, if someone comes and mugs you for your wallet, it's okay if they take your watch too. Your life is worth more than the stuff. Your life is worth more than the stuff. Your faith in Jesus is worth more than the stuff. And then finally he says, if someone asks from you, give. Be generous. Not only does it help them, it's good for us not to hold on too tightly to our own things. Then he summarizes by saying, do unto others as you've had them do unto you. The golden rule, the famous rule that Christians and non-Christians alike all love. Now here this is Jesus not just saying, don't irritate people. You know, don't irritate because you don't like to be irritated. Or leave people alone because you like to be left alone. I actually hear him saying, talking about the positive, of bless others because we all like to be blessed. Do good for others because we love it when people do good for us. So not just don't offend anyone, but actually be a blessing to people. So these three specific things to get at this the four larger commands to love your enemy, to do good, to bless, and to pray for. So then, so are you with me? You see the in your, your uh, passage here the first two paragraphs? Now we're on the third one, where Jesus comes at it from another angle. <clears throat> he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. Even criminals do that. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. How remarkable is that? It's not. How much does that uh, demonstrate God's goodness to other people? I don't know that it does. He says when you lend to others, if you expect to be repaid back, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. It's good business. I need to clarify something here at this part. (laughs) When Jesus says lend, lend, you know, I, I was studying this, and, and even the way it's translated in the NIV, I'm not sure that I, uh, they've quite got it, <laughs> if I may say. Um, you can disagree with me, but um, is that when he's saying, he doesn't say, when you lend, uh, just give it away. He doesn't say that. He's talking about lending here. And so um, I think what Jesus is getting at is oftentimes in the ancient world, what you would do is you would lend, and then you would make sure that people know that they owed you a favor. Now, in, in, um, in Judaism, it was forbidden in the Torah to, um, to charge interest of fellow Jews. So he's not talking about interest here. That, wasn't, that really wasn't even part of the question. What well, I think what Jesus is saying here is when you lend to people, don't hold it over their head like they owe you one now. I mean, that was part of culture. You lend money to someone and then you did them a favor, they owed you a favor. Whatever, maybe it would be lending again some other day or maybe it would be something totally different. What Jesus is saying here is when you lend, lend to be helpful. Lend to help them. Not to hold it over their head. Leave them some dignity. dignity. Don't hold it over their head. They don't owe you one now. And then Jesus gathers this all together in a conclusion. He says, love your enemy. Love your enemy. Do good to those who are hating you and lend without expecting anything in return, without expecting them to owe you one. Then you'll have great reward in heaven. Then your reward will be great. And he shifts our attention from what we tend to focus on, how we're making our way in this world. he says, look beyond the reality of things. Look beyond the, the appearance of things to the reality of things. Look beyond just this time to the eternal time, to time with him and our reward there. It says, and then you will be called children of God. Then you will be truly children of God. Following your father. Because think about it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul wrote those words to the church in Rome. and said that even while we were enemies with God, Christ shed his blood so that we would be reconciled. And if this is what God our Father does as we are we as his children this is who we are to be too this is our example to love our enemies so i've been thinking some about how do we work this out in our lives right this is hard sayings the hard way of jesus how do we work this out i've been thinking some about it like how do we work this out personally Maybe some of you have someone who is angry with you right now. Maybe even hating you right now or mistreating you. That we would love them. That we would do good for them. When they curse us, that we would bless them. That we would pray for them. It would be amazing to watch God as he turns that enemy into an ally. Because it's a powerful testimony, too, because people know the situations around us be amazing for them to see the power of the gospel at work. be amazing for them to see someone they knew was angry with us, the way that we blessed them, how we were reconciled together and became friends. That's a powerful testimony to the gospel. That's a powerful message of the gospel. But I've also been thinking about, too, about how we work this out in terms of our society right now in terms of our culture and the conversations, the different groups that are attacking each other, going at it. I've mean, been thinking some about how, like a culture who is um, trying to figure out its way without God, how we start to see the ugliness of that. A culture that's not hearing, or not, no longer listening to the words of Jesus to love our enemies, We're seeing the ugliness of it now. In our culture, different groups attacking each other. Different political parties, different special interests, whatever. They're all attacking each other. And it's horrible. The way they insult each other. They don't even talk about the issues anymore. They just attack each other. It doesn't matter what they say. People read into it and it's it's ugly. And yet Jesus commands us his followers, to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who mistreat us. What a powerful testimony that is. What a prophetic way to live in a culture right now that's intent, that's completely driven to attack each other as the divisions widen. For us to love our enemies and to live that in front of people. And we hear people going at it. And times too, as Christians, we're tempted to join in. Somebody says something, or some group does something, some political party makes something a new law, and we want to attack it. We're angry, we're frustrated. And yet, when we start spiraling down with all of it, we lose our testimony. Nobody cares to listen to us because we sound just like everybody else. I've been thinking about it. I don't know what your experience has been, but I've never, I can't think of a time where yelling and insults have ever changed anybody's mind. But I have seen times when loving someone who was mistreating you reconciled people together, completely changed things. And so I say for us as followers of Jesus that we prophetically live this way, that we love our enemies, that we do good for those who hate us. Because anything short of that is beneath our dignity as followers of Jesus. When we join in the rancor, when we join in the insults and hating, it's beneath our dignity as followers of Jesus. It doesn't glorify God. I'm not saying that we don't speak the truth. There are evils in our society. There are things that are wrong. There are things that are horrible. And it is is our responsibility to speak the truth, but to speak the truth in love. Because everybody, there's tons of groups who are speaking the truth in hate, and nobody's listening. But for us to speak the truth in love, anything less is beneath our dignity. We are priests and kings in the kingdom of God. For us to not love our enemies, for us to hate those who hate us, it's beneath our dignity. We are children of God purchased by the blood of Christ. Joining in this mess is beneath our dignity. So let us live prophetically and love our enemies. Let us live prophetically and do good to those who hate us. Let us bear prophetic witness in our society by blessing those who curse us, by praying for those who mistreat us. Imagine how that could begin to change things, even in our community here, as we listen to people in our community who hate this group or that group, who think those people are idiots or those people are stupid. Imagine if we begin to speak about loving our enemies. Not that we condone what they've done, but that we speak in love. That we begin to bless those who curse us, people who hate us because we follow Jesus, because we're Christians. Or think about the ripples that begin to go out, even from our community here, this tiny little spot in Balfour, as we begin praying for those who mistreat us whether they're here in our community or whether they're halfway around the world. Think about how that begins to ripple up. Think about, one, how that glorifies God. How in our current world, in the current climate, how remarkable that is, is loving your enemy. How people would see us doing that and begin to think, you know, maybe there is something different about Christians. Maybe there is something special about following Jesus. If they can do that, there must be something important in that. There must be something powerful there. It's the hard way. I've been reading it and struggling this week. It's the hard way. But I also believe that it is kingdom work well done. Let us love our enemies. Amen.